The world of Islam, culture, religion, and politics. I greet you with peace. My name is Amin Tayyis, and this is the World of Islam podcast. Today, we will focus our attention on briefly introducing the Quran. Here again, we have a term that is highly symbolic and that triggers various images and feelings in people depending on their backgrounds and experiences. It is therefore important to carefully deconstruct preconceptions and to attempt to move beyond mere habits and stereotypes. The Quran is known to be the scripture of the religion of Islam. But let's dig a little deeper. According to classical Muslim scholars, linguistically the term Quran might stem from the Arabic root verb of qara'a uh, to recite or to read or qarana to bind uh, to connect um, some modern scholars have suggested that the term quran comes from the syriac qaryana reading a term that was used by syriac speaking christians and it has also a hebrew cognate miqra uh, which was used by the early rabbis to describe the act of reading scripture as well. And that term mikra came to uh, even be applied to the Hebrew Bible by the uh, rabbinical sages of the Talmud. It is plausible that the term Quran comes from Qaryana, not in any polemical sense, uh, as it has been uh, as it has been used by those who simply want to discredit Islam. It is plausible uh, in the sense that Syriac, Hebrew, and Arabic are all Semitic languages, the speakers of which are also the inheritors of the common uh, religious capital of the ancient Near East. In the last few episodes of the podcast, we discussed in some details the life of Muhammad and his career as a prophet. We highlighted that Muhammad presented his message as nothing less than divine revelation, or the word of God. This revelation gave itself the name Quran. For example, in chapter 12, verse 2, this is Surah Yusuf, إِنَّا أَنزَلْنَاهُ قُرْآنًا عَرَبِيًّا Indeed, we have sent down an Arabic Qur'an that you may understand. But there are other names as well used by the Qur'an to describe itself. For example, we have the term Furqan, which means criterion. Uh, chapter 25, uh, verse 1, Surah Al-Furqan, says, Blessed is he who has sent down to his servant the criterion that he may be a warner to the worlds. And uh, we also have the term tenzil, or sending down. This is an important term. Uh, in chapter 41, verse 42, this is Surah al Falsehood cannot approach it from before it or from behind it. It is sent down from the wise, the one worthy of praise.
Another term is a book. Uh, an example of this is in Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 2. This is the book whereof there is no doubt a guidance for those conscious of God. Here we have to highlight an interesting point. Although the Quran calls itself a book, we should not be thinking of a book in terms of what we understand of book today. Uh, the Quran is originally an oral discourse. The recited word of God from the mouth of Muhammad, and as we mentioned in a previous episode, the later Islamic tradition insisted on the angel Gabriel being the intermediary, although it must also be highlighted that Gabriel does not play a big role in the Qur'an itself. Gabriel is much more present in the Hadith, the sayings attributed to Muhammad. The idea of a book that is in the heavens and from which stems an earthly version um, is a common idea among many Near Eastern religious traditions. The Qur'an similarly seems to see itself as stemming from a celestial book. Uh, terms in the Qur'an that denote this celestial book include Ummul Kitab, the mother of the book, and Allawhul Mahfuz, the protected tablet. Later Islamic theology would expand on what these terms mean, but much of that expansion was not directly from the Qur'an. So, we have this first level of the Qur'an as celestial book, and then there's a tanzil, a sending down that occurs, a descending down to this world, and this is where the Qur'an is a revelation to Muhammad that is recited, and importantly, it is a revelation that is responding to particular events and specific situations spanning the whole 23-year prophetic career of Muhammad. In other words, according to the Islamic tradition, the Qur'an was a guiding hand in the life of Muhammad and his community in good and bad times, in times of peace and times of conflict, in Mecca and later in Medina. Uh, this is partly why today readers uh, of uh, a particular translation of the Qur'an often find it difficult to read through what seems to be disjointed texts. There's a reason for this. Someone who is uh, familiar with uh, or, or is used to opening a book and reading a continuous narrative with a clear beginning and a clear end would bring that expectation to the text and, and to the text of the Quran and um, will have a hard time following through. Perhaps one must, be, one must be willing to understand the oral origins of the Qur'an and let the text itself reveal its logic. And the Qur'an does not become a written collection, as we know it today, until after the death of Muhammad, when it was collected into a mushaf, organized in a way we will discuss shortly. I will also go back to the question of the canonization of the Qur'an, uh, making an official Qur'an 
from both the traditional Muslim accounts and from the perspectives of modern historians. Uh, I'll do that in a later episode. For now, we will just note together that the Quran reaches a third stage, the stage of a written collection. So, how is this written collection organized? It's organized into 114 chapters called surah in the singular, suwar in the plural, and each surah contains a number of verses. Uh, a verse in Arabic is ayah, the plural is ayat, and uh, ayah literally means sign. And each one of the chapters of the surahs, if you want, is given a name, usually coming from an important element or narrative within the chapter, but that's not always the case. All the surahs starts with an opening called Basmala. Uh, this is when it says Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, in the name of God, most merciful, most beneficent. Except for one surah, that is surah number 9, called At-Tawbah. In addition, some surahs, uh, right after the Basmala, start with uh, the so-called disjointed letters. Uh, the meaning of these letters is certainly not clear, although Muslim commentators uh, speculated about what they entailed. An example of this uh, is uh, surah 2, surah Al-Baqarah, that starts with Alif Lam Mim. In English, it would be A L M. The chapters are generally um, in an order of length within the Mus'haf, from the longest to the shortest, um, the major exception being the first surah called Al Fatiha, the opening, which is a sort of prayer that some have compared to the Christian Lord's Prayer. Um, and for the sake of comparison, um, I would like to read the Lord's Prayer as it occurs in Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. Uh, and this uh, is from the English Standard Version of the Bible. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil um, and some some Christian groups um, particularly pro Protestants uh, add uh, the dox, what, what's called the doxology uh, that appears in some manuscripts of uh, the book of Matthew, and which reads, For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Uh, if we go back to Surah Al-Fatiha, the opening, we see that it contains seven verses, and it's worth uh, quoting in full over here, uh, especially given its importance to um, Muslim worship, and Muslim religious practices in a variety of ways. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. 
الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين In the name of God the most beneficent, the most merciful. All praise is due to God, Lord of the worlds, the most beneficent, the most merciful, the master of the day of judgment. You alone do we worship, and you alone do we seek for help. Guide us to the straight path, the path of those upon whom you have bestowed favors, not the path of those upon whom there is anger, nor of those who have gone astray. So, the, the texts of Surah Al-Fatiha, in a way, um, summarizes the contents of the Qur'an itself and the themes that the Qur'an, the Quran uh, deals with. Um, and so, it, perhaps Al-Fatiha provides us with a segue to discuss the contents of the Qur'an. Throughout the Qur'an, um, we recognize the centrality of God. Uh, in Arabic, Allah. But it's not a message about God in abstract ways. The centrality of God stems from the fact that the human beings, uh, human beings need Him for guidance in this life and salvation in the afterlife. So what we end up with at a basic level is a dichotomous world divided between those who accept uh, God's call and are grateful. Those who have faith and um, were blessed with God's guidance. And between those who are ungrateful and continue to be misguided. Importantly, the Quran insists that that there are serious implications uh, for accepting or rejecting God's message. Life, according to the Quran, does not end with death. Death is merely a transition to the next world. The Quran posits a day of judgment during which people will be judged for their deeds. Some will find their abode, their final abode, to be paradise, uh, as the Quran puts it sometimes, and others find it to be hellfire, anar, or jahannam. We will deal with all these themes in some detail in an upcoming episode. I will, however, highlight here that these themes are couched in a variety of textual genre, genres or types. Um, some of these include polemical passages aimed at Muhammad's foes and at the people of the book, i.e. Jews and Christians, as far as we know. And there are also narratives, um, qasas, which contain stories of earlier prophets of God, mostly prophets known in the biblical canon, but also two Arab prophets um, from Arab folklore named Hud and Saleh, it is worth noting here that the narratives about a particular prophet, a particular prophet might be scattered in different places in the Quran. A lot of the details are omitted and the Quran seems to assume the familiarity of its audience with the characters 
and stories. Even though, uh, as we will see, the Quran shapes these narratives um, for its own theological purposes. There are also didactic and exhortative passages uh, calling upon the Quranic audience to do good deeds, to, to be wary of God's punishment, or, or to shun a particular practice, etc. There are also legal or quasi-legal verses uh, that are uh, organizing the community of Muhammad. Interestingly, unlike what is commonly believed, the legal passages in the Quran number only uh, between 300 and 500 verses at most, uh, depending on how one defines a, le defines a legal verse. Uh, this is out of more than 6,000 uh, total verses in the Mus'haf. So uh, the Qur'an is not a legal book as uh, some people portray it. There are also theological and philosophical verses that uh, might discuss the nature of God or the purpose of life. And uh, finally, you must also mention eschatological verses, uh, verses that deal with end times, uh, the end of the world and the hereafter. Uh, more details on all these aspects will follow in a future episode. Thank you for listening. Peace.